0: Welcome to The Protagonistas, a podcast that is centered on highlighting the stories and experiences of Black, Indigenous, and other women of color among communities of faith. Our conversations sit at the intersection of race, gender, sexuality, and spirituality. I'm your host, Kat Armis. Today, I have a fascinating and important conversation with Dr. Quantrilla Ard. Dr. Kwani and I speak about her spirituality and faith and the importance of believing in a practical God. It's this practical God that led her to receive her PhD, which centers research on maternal discrimination stress and negative birth outcomes among black women and their babies. Did you know that black babies are three and a half times more likely to die in the first year of childbirth and black mothers are four times more likely to die during pregnancy? compared to non-Hispanic white babies and women? In this episode, Dr. Quani breaks down her journey toward discovering this information and the reason why behind it, which I believe is extremely important in our fight for a more just and equitable world. So, if you're someone who is interested in research and hard facts surrounding the ways racism and discrimination affects different systems and place, then this episode is definitely for you. I hope you enjoy it and, Welcome to the Programming Stats. I've been following you on social media for a bit, and uh, something that I love about your work and about what you're about, essentially... So, okay, well, let me backtrack a little bit. I had a professor um, in seminary who she had you know she she got her phd and you know all this the a lot i mean she's like a brain you know when it comes to theology and then she just went back to school and got she went to the london school of economics and she got another master's in, in economics right and so one day we're sitting in class and we're all like but you know why she's like well She goes. I think that it's very important for Christians to be interdisciplinary. Like they need to have expertise in other things, not just God and theology. You know, because we need. And so I've always like thought about that. You know, because I can say, yeah, I'm an expert in theology, but then when it comes to so many other things, I'm like, you know, I don't know. So I love, (laughs) I love what you're about um, because I feel like you're doing such incredible kingdom and justice work in a space that. neglected by many Christians or just by, you know, people in in general in a space that um, is not talked about enough or or is not, you know, whatever you want to call it. So I so appreciate just the work that you're doing and your expertise and your brilliance. And so I'm so excited for um, me to learn more and for everyone else. Thank
1: you. No, Thank you. I I totally agree. It's it's so important for us to be multidimensional. So I love it.
0: Yes. Amen. Okay. Um, before we talk about your PhD and before we talk about all of those things, I would love to hear about your spiritual background. Um, yeah. You know, where are you from? What is your faith background or your spirituality background about? Um, if you want to share a little bit about that.
1: Absolutely. So, um, you know, this whole kind of where you from in the spiritual sense is kind of new to me. So I I didn't know that there were like sort of little camps to belong to. So I was just out here kind of doing my thing. (laughs) But um, (laughs) when it comes to like my my faith background, I was raised Seventh-day Adventist. Um, So that's a very, it's a basically a denomination that is very much Bible based, you know, like almost letter of the law type um, denomination. But I find that um, as I've gotten older and I've started to really kind of dig and comb through the scriptures for myself, you know, I found that they were very um, kind of closed minded when it comes to just relationship, Um, Mm -hmm. very good with you know exegesis and homiletics, but when it comes to relationship, I found there was a lot lacking. So mm-hmm. as I, you know, started to comb through for myself, um, I've kind of created more of a personal—I don't know if you can kind of have a little offshoot or, or branch off of your own denomination.
0: <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> but I've kind yes. of
1: figured out—you know—some of these things work for me, right, in my everyday life, right. and and some of the things didn't. And I think I found a lot more freedom when I realized that, and this is true for many denominations, that a lot of the things that we make doctrine are not really doctrine. They're just tradition, mm-hmm. right? So exactly. once once I realized, you know, I, I wasn't going to hell for wearing jewelry or, you know, drinking caffeine, then it made, it made my life a lot easier. <laughs> so that's kind of the background that I come from. You know, it's kind of conservative, but... Um, you know, as, as I've made my way through, I've kind of just, you know, really picked what worked for me. So,
0: right. Yeah, that's so that's good. <laughs> yeah. So when you talk about lacking in relationship, do you mean, um, like interpersonal relationships with other people, or you mm-hmm. mean like relationship with yourself. I mean, because that's, I I know that in a lot of Christian denominations, there's this push of, you know, deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself to the point that we are completely disembodied. We have no relationship with ourselves. Um, Or so what, if you want to elaborate a little bit more on maybe even just your journey of just whether it's relationship with others or yourself or God. It had to take me divorcing myself from the
1: idea that um, my faith was something that had to be like this linear, you know, you start here, you end here, type of thing, right. and allow it to be fluid and flexible and like this living, breathing thing. Um, I was able to find freedom there, and and really in my relationship with God as well, because it allowed me to see that God wasn't just you know, the judge, he was also Mm -hmm. a friend. He was also a brother, you know, also someone that sat and wept with me while I was walking through the darkest days of my life. And had I not come to that realization before some of those dark days happened, uh, I would have been in some serious trouble Yeah. because I find that um, we want to, in, in trying to help people. Sometimes we over spiritualize things. Or we kind of do this the spiritual gaslighting where, you know, we're like, yes, we understand that your life is falling apart. Just pray about it. Okay, you know, prayer is great. You know what I mean? But what are some other practical things that I can do also? So that's kind of where I am now. I'm I'm in this space where you know, if God can't be practical as well as, you know, omniscient and omnipotent, then what hope, you know, what hope do I have to live an everyday Christian life? So yes. that's kind of where I am now. So not so focused on the thou shalt not send the, you know, Christianese that we like right. to speak, but, you know, because I have kids and they're looking at me like, what does that mean? And it, you know, so now I have to kind of figure out well, how, what I was taught and how I was taught as a child is not going to work for my children. Right. It's, it, life right. just doesn't even look the same anymore. So right. you know that means that I had to do some work for myself right. and able, you know, so that I could do that and, and help teach them as well
0: yeah that's so good i love just a practical god right <laughs> like it yeah. seems so obvious but it's true you know um we do i feel like in so many ways when i think about so much of christianity there's an idea of jesus and an idea of god but there it's almost like people don't really believe jesus existed and like physically interacted with people and like you know sort of had yes. this like Practical way of living, like it's. I love that. Just a practical God. So, speaking of practical and practicality, talk to us about your expertise, your PhD. Which congratulations! That is a you know major Thank accomplishment. You. Yeah. Oh no, man,
1: listen. Awesome.
0: I needed that practical Jesus to get me through. <laughs> <laughs> That's so oh, good. So yeah, if you want to tell was, us a so little cool. bit about that?
1: Oh, absolutely. So I recently graduated uh, with a PhD in psychology, a concentration in health psychology. Um, I have a public health background as well. And so what I wanted to do was, you know, make, like we talked about Christianity, make it a little more diverse. I wanted to have an interdisciplinary background. And so I realized that I was very interested in psychology as well. So what I did was um, uh, pursuing this health psychology degree, I was able to, you know, learn a lot about why people do what they do when it comes to health. And one of my passions has always been uh, women's health and, you know, just why. Women do what they do, their health seeking behavior, um, how their bodies work, how their mind and body is connected, you know, all those things. And um, I I actually started having children right after I started my Ph.D. program. And so my first son uh, was born about mm, four and a half weeks early. I developed preeclampsia all while going through this program. If you want to yeah. explain mm-hmm. what preeclampsia, yeah. is, just in case folks don't yeah. know, absolutely. Um, and so preeclampsia is basically a disease where, um, while you are pregnant, you develop high blood pressure, and it is specifically, you know, during pregnancy. So. Mm-hmm. I go through a relatively, you know, uneventful pregnancy, but here I am at the end of my pregnancy with this extremely life threatening illness. Um, And, you know, I'm just so blessed to be able to even be here to tell the story because my blood pressure was so extremely high. I could have died and wow. the only thing at the time they were like we have to deliver this baby that is the cure okay wow. and i'm like but he's not ready yet and i'm not ready yet either <laughs> yeah so you know i i go in to have this baby and within minutes, they have him out. And I'm just like, what am I supposed to do? My whole process got interrupted. And I I just didn't realize how much danger I was in health wise. Mm -hmm. And so I come home, you know, with this little four pound eight ounce baby, because you know, he's preemie, Mm -hmm. you know, and looking around in my peer group, I see that there are other friends of mine who are also having some type of either complication or situation with delivery or pregnancy and i'm thinking to myself well good grief you know what in the world is going on that all of us you know are having similar issues and you know we all enjoyed a, a relatively um stable you know life making decent money you know we all have good insurance um you know, we all have advanced degrees, so we had access to good quality health care. But what was it about our experience that put us at risk to have these negative birth outcomes? And so, you know, I'm still in my PhD program. Um, and I kind of pivoted to say, okay, I need to find an answer to this question. And as I began wow. to dig, I really was completely shocked at the statistics that I found about Black women and their maternal health and their babies. And so the research says that a Black baby is three and a half times more likely to die in their first year when compared wow. to you know non-Black babies. And then, okay, if that's not scary enough, now you have that Black mama's are four times more likely to die during Mm -hmm. pregnancy or due to pregnancy complications than white women. And I'm thinking to myself, it is literally a miracle that I am here, a whole entire miracle. And so that really, um, it frightened me, but it also motivated me to, Mm. to find something, anything I could do to lend my voice. and. My my talent and my resources to to fighting whatever it is, and right. so as I did this research, I realized that you know the common thread is that we're black women in the United States of America. Wow, and, and that single fact, yes, this is my peer group. We're we're you know we all have kids around the same age. You know, we all went to college at the same time. You know, we all have advanced degrees and these we're all basically progressing at life at the same rate. Right. And you would look at our peer group and say, oh, there there are really no issues that would Mm -hmm. put them at risk. However, (laughs) here we are, you know, I want to say out of maybe four or five of us, at least three of us had pregnancy complications and serious pregnancy complications at
0: that.
1: So it was just devastating. And um, as I did my research on it, I I had hoped it wasn't the obvious, but Mm -hmm. it really is. Our experiences as Black women in this country puts us at a distinct disadvantage and it puts us at risk for death when it comes to pregnancy and losing our children. So. Once I you know, went through that research, um, I just didn't want to stop there. I, I realized right. that as a black woman, I didn't really understand what my risk was. So right. I, I figured you know, social media was a great way to um, educate and inform yeah. and, and make people aware. And um, it has truly been eye opening. I mean, I still get messages to this day. I had no idea this even existed. And I'm like, uh-huh. well, you know, how in the world can yeah. we fight something that people don't even know people exists? Know. Yep. So, that, so that's a little bit about what I do. So,
0: yeah. Well, I have a lot of follow up questions. <laughs> um, <okay. laughs> so, when you started, you said that you um, got pregnant after you had started your PhD i imagine obviously that your experiences led you to a very specific study so where how did you get from and obviously your experiences but where did you start in this journey and then what how focused was that turn or how specific was that turn when you said wait a minute Mm -hmm. i need to do this like what was that Mm -hmm. space like
1: the sentinel thing that made me pivot was i found an article that said a college-educated black woman her baby was at the time it was two and a half times more likely to die than compared to a white woman who did not have a college uh, no a high school diploma so here Mm -hmm. we have two distinct groups of people okay so we have a black woman who has a college degree which kind of, you know, already says, well, she's on an upward, tra- you know, trajectory to having good income, you know, great health care, blah, blah, blah. And then you have a white woman who has not even received a high school diploma, which doesn't necessarily say that she's not on the same trajectory, but it's not right. even, at, you're not even at the same starting space, right? Right. So, and this kind of mimics what we see in society, that you have two groups of people and one group is literally you know, busting their rump, trying to just make up the difference in the gap Mm -hmm. for opportunity. And they still fall behind. They still lag behind. And so here I have in black and white that no matter what your educational level, your income attainment, none of those things are actually protective factors to keep you or your child safe. And it was mind blowing to me because I'm like, well, Lord, I'm in this PhD program thinking, you know, I'm going to make myself more marketable because I have, you know, this great degree. And, but yeah. that meant nothing. I was literally reading an article that says, this means nothing. Because you, at the end of the day, are still a black woman in the United right. States of America. And that specific issue not my ethnicity. Okay. I want to be clear. It's not my ethnicity that puts me at risk. It is the fact that I'm a black woman in a society that was not created for my well-being and advancement. Right. That is the risk. So right. that that's what turned it. And I was like, okay, uh, right. you know, let, let's let right. dig a little deeper. Let's really um, pull out all the stops and and, you know, investigate, what is going on.
0: Yeah. So we understand 100% um, that we live in a racist society, and these are racist systems. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yes, 100%. So, but if someone is wondering like, okay, so what is it, why, right? Like, why are black women more at risk? Racism, one hundred percent, is the is the answer. One hundred percent. But if you want mm-hmm. to talk a little bit about, um, perhaps you know the history of the healthcare system, um, because you know we sort of put our trust in these systems, thinking you know we put our trust in you know the voting system, right? We put our trust in all these systems, um, hoping right. that they will protect us. So if you want to talk a little bit about the healthcare system, um, perhaps you know, as I was doing research, preparing for this conversation with you, I, I was listening to a podcast where you talk a little bit about this, you know, the father of gynecology or the history of our healthcare system. So what is it about, um, because people might be like, yeah, but well, what's the difference? Why? Obviously it's racism, but if you want to kind of get to the root of, you know, what is it about these systems in particular that cause black women to be at risk and black children to be at the risk that they are?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about um, the concept of trauma, okay? And Mm -hmm. when we talk about the history of the medical system and specifically gynecological research, um, going back, and and, you know, I I know somebody's going to say, well, oh, we're not in slavery times anymore, but we have to peel back. We have to go all the way back to see where it starts, right? Right. So, the father of modern gynecology, um, you know, Doctor Sims. We know that this this man literally took unwilling and non consenting slaves and used them to experiment on their bodies to understand, you know, the processes of the reproductive system um, to create the things that we enjoy now. Uh, you know, pain-free delivery. If you want a pain-free delivery, it goes back. There's a history, exactly. So you enjoy a pain-free delivery, but somebody else did not. You know, and so there is. Um, I have to go back and see where it is, but there is a picture, um, and it is literally a bone-chilling picture of Marion Sims. He he has. Uh, a slave on the table. And there is another slave holding the first one down so that they could perform experiments on her. And this is literally, it's a very well-known picture painting. And at one point, I'm not sure if it's still hanging, at one point it hung in one of the most prestigious medical schools in the country. And so it's the fact that this picture can hang in a medical school Right. right? Knowing what it represents, um, it's like, okay, well, we haven't changed that much from the picture because you're yeah. still upholding systems and beliefs. Beliefs, you know, more so than these systems, because, you know, yeah. we can kind of change the system, but more so than that, we need to change beliefs because these are people that are continuing to perpetrate. These beliefs. And when you have a whole medical system based on the beliefs that black women are inferior, and women in color are women of color are inferior, and they don't even have a right to say mm-hmm. no, you cannot use right. my body for experiments, then right. years down the line you still have the same mentality that black, and black women and women of color do not have autonomy over their bodies. So if right. they're in a predicament that you know they're unsafe and they say, oh, this hurts or this doesn't feel right, they are still not seen as equals. And right. so the, the mindset that you don't have to listen to a woman of color when she is in a very vulnerable position of, of giving birth. Yeah puts her at risk. Right. And we see it time and time again. Preventable deaths. Preventable deaths. Time and time again. And it's it's hard because you know physicians are they take an oath. <laughs> Just like, you know, policemen take an oath to protect and serve. Physicians take an oath to do no harm but in their yeah. in their minds that bias completely clouds their judgment at times and right. unfortunately we can see how there's a huge gap between treatment of you know majority groups and treatment of minority groups and right. until we can change that mentality that black women have autonomy over their bodies that they know when something's wrong then it's it's gonna be really hard to change those rates.
0: Right. I actually read an uh, an article recently, and I'm sure, you know, this you, you've heard of this and you know about this, but it kind of goes in line with with this idea that it was like a, a study that they did on graduating medical students or like, you know, kind of students that were going in to be doctors. And it was like something ridiculous, like five out of seven said that black women just can handle pain better than, than white women. And it was just like this, Absolutely. like, oh yeah, they just have mm-hmm. a higher pain tolerance. And so, you know, going, going along with what you're saying, it just goes back to this idea, this archaic idea that we take mm-hmm. from, like how you said that, you know, slave women could endure this because they were not actually women or whatever. And so they could yeah. endure this pain and we don't real, you know, we don't realize that students that are graduating right now to be medical doctors yeah. somehow have held on to this belief that, I mean, literally has just been passed down from generation tr- to from generation to generation within a racist system. So it's things that's like right. that that we don't even realize that the this these beliefs are being upheld. We think, you know, like you yeah. said, people are like, "Well, we don't live," and that's well, yes, we do mentally, you know, without realizing yeah, it mentally.
1: That's right. Right. And it's scary. It's scary because, um, you know, my own personal experience, even though I was in a place where my life and my child's life was in danger, the physicians that were working on me did not listen to me to hear me say, hey, I can feel something. So it went from a normal induction to an emergency C-section. Wow, And, you know, we're, we're trying to have painless C-sections, you know, that's, that's right. what we're hoping for. Right. <laughs> that's right. what anesthesia is for. Right. You know, right. and they still did not listen. And I felt right. that first incision oh. and it was just like, how, how in God's name is this possible that right. you don't listen to someone so much so that you traumatize them. And that's kind of what I was starting to say before. The trauma of being an unwilling participant in experimentation has been passed down through our DNA. And so there is almost this inherent distrust of the medical system. And then you have things like the Tuskegee experiment that Really cement those issues of distrust in your in your mind in your head, and you're like, rrr, rrr. Do you want to you know, explain then,
0: a little bit what that is? Just in case, absolutely.
1: So, so and, and listen, it's 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 sometimes it's so hard to hear, but you know, once you know the truth, you got to be held accountable oh, for it, 100%. right? One hundred percent. Yes, yes. So the Tuskegee experiment is one of the. May, major fails. I mean, there have been many, but one of the major fails of our um, public health service to protect and serve people. And um, what happened is there's a there was a group of people of color, black people, in in Tuskegee, Alabama, and they wanted to study the effects of syphilis. And as you know, syphilis is a very dangerous, it's, you know, it's easily transmissible. And what happened was they wanted to see the course of how this disease played out. And so what they did was they had a group of people come in and say, hey, we're going to treat you for this thing. Okay, Mm. but they didn't treat them. Mm. And they allowed these people to, you know, Die and right. you know suffer um, right. because they wanted to see what the disease you know progression was like, and yeah. uh, it, it's devastating. But yeah. it just it it really just helps me to to see where I really am valued or not valued in a space.
0: Right. Yeah,
1: and so you know these these were whole families that were devastated. A whole community of Black folk were completely devastated um, over this illness, and it didn't have to be that way. It did not right. have to be that way. But again, mm-hmm. when you have that mentality that you know Black people and people of color are not human,
0: right. then it
1: it you know you're less likely to care what happens to their health and what what the outcome is so Mm -hmm. you know you have these things that have repeatedly occurred in history and you then have a group of people who have now been conditioned to believe that going to the doctor or accessing health care it's just it's almost just as risky as just not doing it all
0: yeah yeah
1: and so that's so, really kind of yeah. why I was like let me find out what what are people's motivations, you know? You have this thing that says, hey, doctors are supposed to help you if you're sick, go to the doctor. But then on the other hand, you have well, you know, Tuskegee experiment, you know. That's right. All these things happening yep. with people who just don't believe you're a real person.
0: So. Wow. Yeah. I just want to take a quick second to remind you of the awesome opportunity you have to become a patron doing so will keep allowing me to produce quality content and support chasing justice which is a person of color led organization with your partnership you'll get exclusive content not available on social media academic works resources including book lists videos updates and a chance to connect with me personally so we can engage in communal learning and theologizing juntos together. Just head on over to my website for the link or to sign up to receive my newsletter. Now, back to the interview. So you um you said something that was important that I want you to elaborate a little bit on. Um, you know, obviously talking about these things is horrific and uncomfortable and you know, all these things and, and just hearing the truth, really, because the truth mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. painful. And something that you talk about a lot and you even said that you use your social media for this which i love is just the power of awareness um if you yes. want to just elaborate a little yes. bit on that just in your own journey of you know coming to an awareness of like well i had no idea what preeclampsia was and i you know here i am i didn't know you know i didn't know what these things were if you want to just talk a little bit about the power of awareness and you know just what that does i mean as people of faith as people seeking out just a just society a just world yeah just the, the power of awareness in your own journey
1: Absolutely. So awareness for me meant that I could no longer stay in the place where I was before. Mm-hmm. And I can't be held accountable for what I don't know. Right. And so my my purpose in making people aware is saying, hey, here's the information. You know, mm-hmm. Especially, you know, as people of faith who we believe that Jesus came to free people. We believe right. that the gospel is a gospel of freedom and justice. And so right. justice has to include the health and the well being of everyone, right? Right. And as people of faith, if we are sitting next to people, well, we're, I guess we're not sitting next to most anybody nowadays. <laughs> but before, if you were sitting in a pew next to someone and you're worshiping and praising God, how do you not? How can you not care about their health and well being? Like this is literally your right. brother or sister in Christ, and you're supposed to all be worshiping the same God. But you have a completely like you have a huge blind spot. When it comes to those who are literally right there under your nose. And so for me, it was, how do we rip off complacency? How do we combat um, the the kind of the standoffishness when it comes to justice and faith and how we are supposed to treat our brother and sister? And for me, that was awareness because now- When I give you the information, you now have to choose to do something with it. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you believe that faith and justice belong in the same space is on you. But once right. you have the information, once you are now made aware of the information, you can choose to act on it. Mm-hmm. And while I know it is not my place to tell you to act on it, I'm definitely saying that it is my I'm, it's my calling to make people aware and then mm. the Holy Spirit does what he does from there right. so it, it's right. it's so important to just be aware because like I said yeah. sometimes you are literally sitting next to people and you have no idea what's going on in their lives you know right. you, you you literally don't like I didn't know that there was a whole issue when it came to miscarriage in in our faith-based community, had no idea. You know why? I wasn't aware because A, I had not had a reason to be aware until I experienced my own. And so now experience then leads me to awareness, which then leads me to action. And so for, I know for a lot of people, if they don't have that experience, they have no need to be aware. Right. But I'm saying, you don't have to have my experience to understand right. that my experience matters. Yes. So I'm kind of breaking up some of that by by putting the information out there, by saying, yes. okay, maybe you haven't experienced it, but hello, hi, this still
0: matters. Yeah. Yeah, and it still affects yeah. physical bodies, like you said, brothers and sisters, right. you know, in Christ, and that's, right. oh, that's so good. Thank you so much for your work, because, um, yeah, I think, I mean, you're spot on, like, the first step is awareness and the fact that you are just bringing that to the table. Um, and honestly, I mean, in that sense, like like you said, you're, now people are held account. now I'm held accountable for the specific mm-hmm. things that I'm learning, right? And so I think that that's so, you yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's part of, of our job, right, to make this world a better place. So sure. I, um, I wanted to ask you about something that I thought was so interesting and just so nuanced. So you you said in, in a podcast interview, and I thought it was really interesting uh, given our current context and the conversations that we're having, and I would love for you to kind of just elaborate on this. So
1: you mm-hmm. talk about
0: sort of like the fundamental thing in this, which which i mean and, I, and i'm a person i love nuance so i always say i'm not a centrist but i love nuance right like i love you know because we you know we live in a society that's just so um, averse to nuance both on the left and on the right and the, you know everyone's just kind of mm-hmm. like wants to stick to their own you know but anyway so you you say that black and white women fundamentally are more alike than we think, right? If people think we're different, there's space and room for people to treat us differently. And that's a breeding ground for bias um, and other things that lead to these unequal and unequitable um, circumstances or you know wh- wh- whatever you wanna call it. Um, and so you yeah. like to encourage people to see how black women, women of color, white women, how we're more the same than not. Now the reason why I find yeah. this so interesting is because considering this unique thing that we're talking about, um, you know, the, the human body, women's bodies, healthcare um, it's so important to see the, com- you know, how we are alike. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I think that's so interesting is because we also in spiritual and justice conversations, we wanna fight against that idea that, right? We wanna be like, no, but my experience as a Latina woman is very different than a rich white woman mm-hmm. or very even different than a black woman. Um, and so, mm-hmm. and we wanna push against the, you know, the very um, shallow sort of trope of, well, I don't see color. And shallow is a, yes. not the right word, but, you know, the trope of, well, I don't see color. And we're all the same. We all bleed red, right? So, how mm-hmm. do you hold th- those two things in tension? Obviously, one of, you know, they're speaking to two totally different things. But, um, you know, just in this conversation, how do you hold the two in tension? How do you separate the two? How do you speak to both of those things?
1: That's a great question. Two words, and these are two of my favorite words, relationship and community. Mm, Those are the twins that help us to see how we are alike and to appreciate how we are not alike. Because here's the goal. The goal for justice is not to say we're all equal. right? because we know that at this point we're not all equal. We're not all starting with the same um, level of resources. We're not all starting with the same support systems. So we know we're not equal. Right. But we're saying justice gives us equity, right? Where it recognizes that we're all starting from different starting points and then it levels the playing field, right? So that we can all share the same resources. And so for me, when we're not, when we're talking about how we are like and how we are different, relationship and community are two ways for us to come together with people that don't look like us, that don't, maybe don't believe like us, um, that have different preferences than us. And it allows us to disrupt this, this feeling of otherness. Right. We we right. like to group ourselves with the same and then point our mm-hmm. fingers at others. But it disrupts that otherness and it lo- allows us to come together in a way that feels authentic, in a way that doesn't feel um, inorganic. Because. You can't really understand someone's story. Right. If you don't talk to them and talking right. is. a Critical, you know, part of developing relationships. Like if you think about when you first met the person that you love, right? I mean, there has to be some kind of study on this. Like you have to spend like so many hours just talking to them. Because that's how relationships start. That's how you get to know this person that you end up eventually falling in love with because you talk, you developed relationship with them. And the best way to understand someone's story, where they come from, what makes them unique, how to truly see the image of God in them is to do life with them. And that really helps break down those barriers. And that really helps people to, to see that, hey, you know maybe we do have a lot in common. Now we may not have a whole lot in common, but maybe we got some right. things in common, you know. Um, and it helps us to, to see outside of ourselves. And here's the thing, you know, we all have a lot to learn. And no matter what our ethnic background is, we have a lot to learn because I, I like to live in the nuance too. I used to think I was a very black or white person, but when I think having kids completely shattered that for me because they don't, <laughs> kids don't really think in black or white. They think in, you know, okay, so what works for me now? Okay. And that may right. change five minutes from now because we know kids are very fickle. But right. the genuine. The authentic part of childhood is they do not assign anything to you. They just want to get to know you. They just want to love you. They just want to spend time with you. And if we can adopt that from them, I think it will really help um, change a lot of how we view each other. And while, you know, like you said, we hold that tension together of, yes, we are different and appreciating those differences rather than using them as um, as reasons to stay apart, then we also find that we have reason to come together. So yeah. relationship yeah. and community, those are yeah. to me are the keys to disrupting a lot of the, the separation and, and even unlearning a lot of the biases that we have about each other.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that that um, I think it's key as, as like what you just mentioned, sort of unlearning these biases, because that I mean that feeds to everything that we were just talking about, right? Um, we have these mm-hmm. biases about um, a black woman's body or a white woman's body, or you know, a, a non black woman's body right and and so we have these biases about our bodies and what our bodies do and how our bodies function and how we are to function Mm -hmm. in relation to each other Um, but yeah I mean it's a matter of um, unlearning biases in order to um, protect women in certain um, situations that might not be believed or you know whatever the case may be Um, and so so yeah it is a matter of just being able to hold those to attention right like yes we fundamentally right, bio biologically or however if there's a, a more you know medical term for that um <laughs> that we are the same you know like yes we mm-hmm. all do bleed red or yes we all do um and that can can motivate us in a lot of ways but then yes they, you know we don't have the same um equitable standards right things in, in that yeah. situation are very and so um, it's just a matter of, yeah. Um, and like you said, you know, being able to to sit in community and have these conversations and understand and listen and hear. And and like you said, listen to experiences that um, leads mm-hmm. us to awareness and to action. I, I really love that. That's right. I'm, uh,
1: That's the goal. <laughs> I'm That's I'm the like, goal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I have one last question. Um, and I hesitate to mm-hmm. ask this question because people ask me this all the time. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, I'm just like, um, but uh, I, I asked this intentionally um, in regard to this particular conversation. When it comes to this healthcare crisis, um, how can non-Black women and how can the church honestly support and help and do what we can in in this? When it comes to this, right? And the reason why I say that I'm hesitant to ask this because. You know, I I do theology and I study theology, whatever. And, you know, white men will ask me all the time, well, how can I, you know, as a white man? And I'm like, (laughs) I don't know, just figure it out. Like, why are you asking me? But but I am curious, you know, because this is something, um, yeah, this is, it's a a crisis. And how, is there anything or what is there that we can do um, to, you know, to change, to help uh, this process along, to help us, you know, change whatever it is that we can change when it comes to this.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there are several things, but I think the biggest, um, the biggest way we can change is to examine ourselves. Um, you know, if something bothers you, or if something causes a reaction or a rise in you, rather than giving into it, ask yourself a question. Why does it bother me so much? Do I feel like something is being taken away from me? And if I do, why? Mm-hmm. And then ask questions like, who gains power from yeah. things staying the same? And who gains power from things changing? And who's at this table? When we're making decisions about what happens next, who's seated at the table? Who's helping make these decisions? These are right. all questions that we can personally answer and say, hmm, okay, there's some room for improvement here. And I think yes. if we start at the individual level and then make connections, like I said, in relationship, if you know- right. That you don't have a true abiding relationship with someone that does not look, think, speak, or act like you, then here's the thing you're really missing out. That's the first thing right. because, I mean, you're missing out on other facets of who God is. God is represented right. in all of us. And if you are only sticking with your people who do your thing, who like this thing, you're missing out. You're not missing out on just relationship, but you're missing out on all these other aspects of who God is. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think those are critical questions to ask on an individual level, which again, brings about awareness. And once you're aware, what are you going to do from there? You say, okay, maybe uh, I am the only one at the table i am the only one with power i am the only one who can do x y and z so maybe i will choose from here to invite someone else in to uh put bring more seats to the table to bring more voices to the table um maybe i will choose to enter into a relationship with someone else that may not feel comfortable at first but i know i need to do it so these are all ways that we can make changes And finally, my favorite. If you have power or if you have privilege, leverage it for someone else, not just for yourself. If you see something is wrong, speak up, say something. I found that even in my research, when Black women have an advocate, that right there saves lives. And so that one of the other things I'm passionate about is promoting birth workers, promoting doulas, promoting midwives, because they mm. act as advocates for these black mamas and babies. If you have an advocate, if someone is there to say, hey, this ain't right, the, the possibility and the potential for things to change, it starts right there. Right. It really does. So, those are my (laughs) suggestions. I mean, you know, everybody has to really do what works for them. Um, You know, my thing is as long as you don't just say, oh, great, that's information that I could use and you don't use it, right, then I'd be sad. But, you know, you really have to, to find something that works for you. And I know everybody's not. A social media person everybody's not a yeah. speaker or a podcaster or whatever but use yeah.
0: what you have
1: where you yeah. are if you see yeah. something say something
0: yeah yeah and believe right believe black women when they when they say believe you know this is black a, women. It, right right this is off this is wrong i feel pain i feel this Um, Because it's been too much of a history of us uh, as a society not believing. And so, amen to all of that that you said. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Your work is so important. And um, I'm just honored to be able to uh, speak with you and have others listen and hopefully learn. Thank you so much for listening to The Protagonistas. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.